This being the fourth Sunday, we're talking about our theme for the year, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing, a song that reminds us, recalls for us to notice the blessings of God, to recognize them, and to respond to the blessings of God. That when I see the hand of God around me in my life, I not only see it and recognize it, but I respond with thankful praise to the Lord for every good gift he's given along the way. That's what this psalm ought to be doing for us this year. It's just opening our eyes every day to see just how good and generous and gracious God is to us and to daily be walking with steps of thanks and praise to him. Well, we're continuing on. Where we left off is in the second verse, and we're looking this morning at the phrase, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. There's a story I heard not long ago by a brother in Georgia about these basketball players who were playing a tournament in China. While they were there in the tournament, one of the players said, I want to worship on Sunday. And so if y'all won't mind, I'm going to be gone on Sunday to worship the Lord. And they all said, you know, we, we want to go with you. You just choose the church and we'll go with you. Well, right across the street from the hotel was a church. And so Sunday morning, in piled these six-foot-tall basketball players, and they all crammed into this building. They arrived just as services were starting, and the only open spot was the second row. So they all piled in. The thing is, they couldn't speak Chinese. And so as the services began, the members would stand, and they'd sit, and they'd kneel, and they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what to do. And so they all decided, let's just do whatever the guy in front of us does. And so when he stood up, they stood up. When he sat down, they sat down, and it worked good until the very end. Because at the very end, the preacher got back up, and he said something in Chinese, and the man in the front row stood up. And so they all stood up, and the congregation lost it, laughing hysterically. And of course, they were embarrassed. Well, afterwards, they went to one of the members who spoke English and Chinese, and they said, what happened? Why were you all laughing at us? What did the preacher say? He said, well, the preacher said, today we have a new baby among us with a child's father. Please stand. (laughs) He's got some explaining to do. (laughs) It's easy to have a misconception, to not get the full story, the complete story. Do you remember former President George W. Bush saying that too often We judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. It's really easy to get the wrong story, the the, the wrong impression. Maybe we go to a restaurant and everything about that experience at that restaurant was terrible. The food was bad, the service was rude, and we come away saying every single one of that franchise is terrible. That franchise is, is, is just the worst. Well, in all reality, it was probably just that restaurant, but I can judge the entire franchise off of one bad experience. Or maybe you've heard it said before, you're driving and someone cuts you off and they're swerving and they're on their phone, and we say, all the drivers in Dallas are terrible. Well, the reality is one was really bad. I mean, we have like 1,000 really bad drivers, but still, we're judged the whole based on, on the few. If we can have misconceptions about restaurants or people or drivers, you know it's, it's not too uncommon for people to have a misconception about God. In Rio de Janeiro, there's this giant 90-foot statue of Jesus entitled Jesus the Redeemer. The fascinating thing about this statue is that it's depicted as the Savior looking down among the people, but they didn't carve pupils in his eyes. They're blank eyes. 
don't know if you can make it out, but right in the center of his chest is a small stone heart. And so the Redeemer that they depicted in this statue is a blind Savior with a small heart of stone. So unlike the God that we know. You know, in 2 Peter 3, there was a misconception about God, a misunderstanding about who God is. In 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 3, it says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Hear this? Where's Jesus? Where's his promise about Jesus' return? They're asking in an insulting sort of way, you say that Jesus is coming again, but you know, everything kind of looks the way it has since the very beginning. Are you sure he's still coming? They weren't asking out of interest. They were asking, intending to mock those who were seeking the truth. And you can imagine how devastating this would be. This question, this seed of doubt can be devastating to one's faith. Because all that we believe hinges on the promise of God and the faithfulness of God, to rely on His Word. It's also devastating to our hope, because everything we hope in relies on the fact that He's coming again one day. Is He? Has He already come? Do we know? Are they right? Perhaps is Jesus not going to return as He said He would? What we're looking today is going to be down at one verse, a few verses later in verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, where Peter says, And the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If, if there's a foundation of truth from which our hymn we're studying has grown off of, I think this is one of those stones. This is one of those foundations, and that's what we're going to consider today. I just want you to look at this one verse. And just think about what it is that Peter is saying and how this connects us to the fact that by God's good pleasure, we shall safely arrive at home. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, which is a way of reminding us, first of all, that God isn't bound by our time. God doesn't exist in our realm. And so God is outside of space, matter, time, and material. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 8. Because in verse 8 of the context, Peter says, Do not let this one fact, this truth, escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. That God's not governed by time the same way you and I are. In fact, if you look at verse 8, literally, Jesus was just on earth on Friday in the eyes of God. Moses was just here Monday or Tuesday in the eyes of God. He's not bound by time the way you and I are, which is why the psalmist could say, You're throne." On which you reside. No, it is from old. You are from everlasting. God has no beginning. He has no end. He always is. Which is why Isaiah could say that he declares the end from the beginning. God doesn't see life in terms of a timeline. He simply sees what is. Thus he's able to look at the beginning and look at the end to declare with truth the reality of what is and what will be. And so God's not bound by our time. When someone says God is slow... Well, what seems slow to us is nothing to God. But the other truth of this is that God is not directed by our demands. Look at verse 5 in this context. And speaking about the mockers and what they say, he says, When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water 
through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. See what he's saying here? And we sang this today. Cy did a wonderful job of leading us. I don't know where you went, Cy, but you did a great job. By the word of the Lord, the world was made. By the word of the Lord, that world was destroyed with the flood. And by the same word of the Lord, this present heavens and earth is being reserved for a day of great judgment and destruction. Here's the point he is making. God's not directed, moved by our demands. You're taking too long. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? You're being awful slow about this, aren't you? Look at Isaiah 46. God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand in what? I will accomplish my purpose. The patience of the Lord, the waiting of the Lord, the timetable of the Lord. When people say the Lord is being slow, they're not considering the fact that the, the return of Jesus the rescinding of the Son of God is according to a great plan. It's according to an amazing purpose. It's according to a will that God has already set in motion. God doesn't yield to our demands. In fact, it ought to be the opposite that we say, not my will, but your will be done. And so the fact that Jesus hasn't come, it's not a way of saying, well, God is not keeping his end of the deal. It ought to be by now. It's a way of saying God will send when it is time. Because he also says the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. The reason that Jesus hasn't come back and ushered everything into judgment is because God is being patient. God is giving the world more time, more time to change, more time to listen, more time to understand, more time to turn from sin, more time to do the things that God has called for them to do and to be the people he's called for them to be. Right here in our context, go down to verse 15 and notice what he says. He says in verse 15, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. The patience of the Lord is to be considered as salvation. Think for a moment. Think. One of the greatest demonstrations of God's kindness and mercy and grace is time, is today. The fact that Jesus hasn't come today is evidence of God's grace, his abundant mercy, giving opportunity to many to give them the chance to change. He says that's exactly what Paul said, and Paul did say that. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 16, he says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Think of that. That when I, Paul, was once Saul, he didn't just smite me on the spot, even though I really deserved it. I was awful. I was persecuting the church. I was throwing God's people in prison. But he didn't destroy me in the moment. No, instead, he gave me time that through being Saul, I could turn by the grace of God into Paul, by a persecutor of the gospel, into a proclaimer of the gospel. God's patience. The delay of Jesus coming is one of the greatest evidences of his love towards mankind. Now think. If I have any consideration about myself and my soul, 
If I have any desire about wanting to, to live a life now and eternal in a way that would please God, then I need to ask the question this morning, am I the reason Jesus hasn't returned? Am I the reason God hasn't sent his son? Is God delaying Jesus this morning for me? I want to give them one more day. I want to give her one more service. I want to give him one more morning to come back to me. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish. All the bad rap that God gets. The incomplete story. That God is just a cold-hearted king, and you can't do anything to please him. Nothing pleases God. He just is. Or that God is just the benevolent bully, right? He's kind to those who he wants to be, but those who turn his back on him, he loves to destroy them, and he loves to consume them. Or God is the spiritual cop, and he always kind of has his radar gun out, and any kind of misstep, any misthought, any misdeed or word, he's ready to bust us right there in the moment. Do you know why we know that's not true? Do you know why? We know it's not, but do you know why we know that's not true? Because we just ate it and we just drank it. Brethren, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What's that mean? That the cross and the nails and the scourging and the pain was for me, was for you. Why? Cast away from you all the transgressions, God would say in Ezekiel 18, all that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and lift. Do you see it? You might think God loves his people. And he's really brokenhearted when they die, but all those who are wicked and rebellious and cold-hearted and don't care a thing about God, he's really pleased when they die, when they perish. I find no delight in the death of anyone. Which is the reason that even today, as Jesus would say, even on days like today, we've had a really wet summer, it's a great reminder. The Lord says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. What's he saying? That he is good and he is kind and he is merciful on those who love him and follow him. And he is. But he is also just as kind and just as loving and just as merciful on those who don't love him. On those who give no thought to him. How do you know? Because the sun came up today. And it wasn't like the sun came on 1309 where my house is and it was dark other places, kind of like in the Lion King, here's where the light stands and there's, the sun was for everyone today. And when the rain fell last evening, it fell for those who were righteous and for those who were wicked. And if we want to prove to be sons of God, Justin talked about the amazing glory of being adopted into his family. One of the ways we live like our father is doing what he does, and he's kind and gracious to the, to the righteous and the wicked. First Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you hear this over and over again? 
The God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. God wants all people to be saved. Now listen for a moment. Listen. Because I know we've got some here today that need to hear this. I know we do. We've got some here today, and I know inside what you're wrestling is, there's no way God would ever love someone like me. Not now. I know what I've done. I've not given a thought to God in a long time, and I've allowed in my life a lot of wickedness and sin. I've not darkened the, 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 the building, the, the, the doors of a church building in years and years. And there's no way God would give me a second chance. God would be so pleased to wipe me off the face of the, of the earth because of how I lived. I know it's true because I felt that. But it's not true. For every single person who is here, right here this moment, as true as it is for every person who's alive today, God wants every single one of us home with him. How do you know? For there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time, because he gave Jesus for the world. That, that crucifixion, those nails were for me. They were for you. That, that scourging was, was for me. That, that was yours. That was for you. The depth of God's boundless love was for you, was for me. We know because he's given the gospel, this glorious message from which we are drawing such strength today. He's given it to the world. Paul would end Romans 16 by saying in verse 25, Now that him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. Ooh, the good news which was being stored but kept a secret, notice, is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the command of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. What's he saying? That there's some good news. There's a message of amazing hope. That's what we're talking about today. That no matter who you are and what you've done and how long you've done it, no matter how deep, no matter how bad, there's hope for you in Jesus. There's salvation offered to you in the Son of God. How do I know that Jesus wants me to be saved? How do I know that God wants me to be saved? Because I'm still alive today. Because we still have today. Because God gave us this moment right here to be in his word, to be among his people for him. Now think of that phrase we sang. And I hope by... It's not, and I hope by thy obligation safely to arrive at home. And I hope by thy dutiful service to arrive at home. And I hope by thy good pleasure. Brethren, it's not that God has to save us. It's because he wants to save us. Can we get that? It's not that God owes us salvation. It's because he wants us to be saved. He wants us to be in heaven, every single one of us. 
that God desires nothing more than for his precious people, his precious creation to be with him. Just as every one of us who are parents or grandparents, nothing matters more than having children at home and children around the table. And when they are gone, there is nothing on our mind more than having them home. I would, I would break heaven and earth. I would give all that I have in order to have them home. That's our God. The Lord is not slow about his promise. Some count slowness. But is patient towards you, not wishing for any, for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What's the response to that amazing love and that incredible grace, to that kind of patience the Lord has given to us? Change. As God said in Ezekiel, then turn and live. Turn and live. Repentance starts here, right? I, I see because of what I've understood in the truth that what I was doing and how I was living was wrong, the things I was watching, the things I was thinking, the way I was behaving. I, I recognize it is wrong, but it doesn't just end here. I, I recognize it was wrong, but now I'm going to do what is right. I'm stopping in my behavior what is wrong, and I'm going to be pursuing the things I know that please God. It's a change of heart that produces a change in direction, a change of life. Why? Why change? Why change the way I'm living? Why change the way I'm thinking? Why change my life? Well, one, because God wants it. Because he wants you. Because he wants a relationship with you. But also because there's a verse 10. At verse 9, you took my lift off the, the pulpit. I'll use this. I'm going to put it down here. Okay. Verse 9 says the Lord is patient. God's giving us time. How's verse 10 begin? But the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up, brethren. It's all going to be consumed in God's judgment. There was a time a lot like this, which is why Peter referred to it back in verse 5 and 6. That God warned the world he was going to judge it through a giant flood. And that world, that world did not care one bit about God or his law. But God gave them time because he told Noah, I want you to build not just a little dinghy. I want you to build a giant boat, a boat that would take about a century to build. And so God gave the world nearly a hundred years to see the means by which they could be saved. To hear a message that was calling them out of their sins. He gave them time but eventually, the rain fell, the floods came, and the world was consumed. You and I face a far greater judgment than the flood that came on this earth. We face a judgment that will last not for a century. It will last forever, which is why in verse 11, let's get this verse right here. This is our so what? Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, since we know this day is coming and we know God is so gracious and loving to provide the way out, what difference should this make in the way that you live? What difference should this make in your habits? What difference should this make in the way that you think? What difference should this make in your priorities about being here among God's people and serving in the community? And being active in the word and deep in prayer, what difference should the fact that we are soon to stand before the throne of God make in the way that you're living today? 
The Lord's not slow about this promise. This amazing, glorious promise. Not as some count slowness. He's patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish. But for all to come to repentance. Let's walk this off the page. In your Bibles, go back with me to Luke 15. There's a story that Jesus tells that in many ways is is an apt illustration of what Peter is describing here. The good pleasure of God to safely arrive at home. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story about a son who ran far from home, believing that everything he had at home was keeping him from the life he really wanted. By the blessing of the Father, he got his share from the inheritance, and he ran far from home into this far country, and he spent everything that he had. He spent it all. Loose living, high fun, great stakes, But then when the money ran out and the famine came, all that popularity and passion was replaced with abandonment, emptiness, betrayal. He found himself literally at rock bottom, wanting to eat food that pigs eat. And here's our verse, Luke 15 and verse 17. He says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. You see what you realized? By my own choices, by my plan, right, my genius plan, I've hit rock bottom, and I have nothing. And what came to his mind when he hit rock bottom, what was it? Life was really good back home. Everything I ever wanted Everything that was good was where my father was. In fact, I would be better off as a slave in my father's home than I would a free man in this far country. Do you see what led him home? I have a father who loves me so desperately, and I left that for this. It's brave, brethren. It's brave to admit our faults. It's brave to be honest with ourselves about where we are, no matter where we are. But the braver verse is verse 20. It's one thing to recognize it. I'm not where I should be. Things are not the way they ought to be. And God had a better plan, and I left that, and that's really where I should be. And for some people, that's just where it stands. But the bravest thing we could ever do is verse 20. He got up and came to his father. Staying in the pig pig, nothing's going to change. Staying in the far country, nothing's ever going to get better. I can admit that's where I should be, but until I get up and come back home, nothing will ever change. Life, through God's grace, gives us these amazing moments. We call them the turning point moments. When I realize the way things are, are not the way they should be. And it's at that moment, I can either stay in the pig pen thinking, you know, it could be a lot better, or I can get up and I can come home. Will you just come right here for a moment? Right here. It could be, maybe things at home aren't the way they should be. We've not been leading this home. My wife and I have not been leading this home in the spiritual direction it should. This is a great turning point moment to realize if I'm not where I ought to be and we're not leading this home, these children, spiritually the way we ought to be, turning point. Either we're going to keep on leading these kids further away from God or we're going to make some serious changes. We're going to get up and we're going to start making some, some corrections. That could start like this. That this week when we eat, there's no devices, there's no TV, and we eat around a table and we talk. 
And we're going to allow Deuteronomy 6 to be our passage this week, and we're going to weave the Word of God in our everyday conversations. We're going to start to build the Word of God into our home. And when Wednesday comes, we're going to be here at Bible study, and we're going to be ready and prepared for those classes. Maybe, maybe it's the marriage. Maybe things have not been really good with you and your mate. And you see what could be, but I see what is. Here's the turning point. That today it's time to make a change. Today it's time to talk. Today it's it's time to be transparent and to share what's going on, to be honest with one another. In fact, today may be a great day to get together and to pray to God for the sake of one another and your marriage. And maybe if you're at a point where it's in desperation, we've got great shepherds here that in the lobby, after we're done, we'll be ready to meet and to talk and to help get things in the right direction. Or maybe it's just me. And I've come this morning. Maybe I've been invited by someone, by a loved one, and I'm here. But boy, I realize where I am compared to where God has called for me to be, where I need to be, is, is vastly different. And i got to start today by making some serious changes. There may be some habits I've got to break today before I leave this room, before I do. Maybe some things on my phone I need to delete, to destroy, to have some help with someone to get them from my life before I even go back out home. That maybe I need to start making some connections with some brethren to get some accountability for this life, for my week, for my habits. That I've got to set up a way to be in the Word of God every day and deep in prayer to get this life back to the way God wants it to be. If I think that sounds good, that all sounds good, and that life sounds good, and I agree, life with the Father sounds good, but all I do is in my mind acknowledge it, and I stay in the pig pen, nothing will get better. Nothing will get better. If I want things to get better at home, if I want things to improve in my marriage, if I want to make some improvement in my soul, I can't just see I need some change. I've got to make that change. I've got to get up and do something about it. Far too many will walk out this door and will say, that was a great sermon. That was a great sermon. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this truth? Will we stay where we are? Or will we recognize, good brethren, the only reason we have today is because God is so kind and so loving and so gracious I'm going to give them one more day to live. Anyone who has tasted even an ounce of mortality through sickness or disease realizes how precious that can be. He's given me today. Don't you dare waste it. Don't waste it. Don't waste this time you have with your kids. You've only got them once. Don't waste this day that God has given to you. You've got some problems? Then let's get out of the pig pen and let's walk closer back to God. I want to end with hope. I broke our new pulpit, I'm sorry. (laughs) You and I have a brother who's going to die in 25 days. His name is Jimmy. And there's nothing that will be done. In 25 days, he will leave from this earth and go on to eternity. Jimmy is in prison, and in the prison, the TV broke. And since the TV was broke, he was bored, and he wanted something to do, and so he found the Bible, and he started reading the Bible. And he read it all the way through, and thought it was boring. 
but the TV was still broken, and so he read it through a second time, and the second time his eyes were opened, and he started catching on to things and reading things. In fact, when he got to the New Testament and to Jesus and the gospel, Jimmy realized where he was, and he asked for one of the ministers who was coming in to talk with him, and Jimmy knew just through reading the scripture that he was a sinner, that he needed to, be, uh, to obey the gospel. He was baptized for his sins. Jimmy is going to be executed by the state of Alabama because he murdered a woman, and it will happen in 25 days. He will have never worshipped with the saints. He will have never taken the Lord's Supper. He will have never met but a handful of brethren. But as he said, they can take my life, but they can't take heaven from me. That's our brother. Now listen, if there is hope for someone like Jimmy, there is hope for every soul, for every wanderer and prodigal we have in our life. Don't you ever lose hope. Don't you stop praying for them. Don't you stop reaching out to them. If Jimmy can come to Jesus and turn his life back to Jesus and soak in every single person, that means you. That means you. It does not matter where you are today. It doesn't matter how far you've run, how deep you've fallen. You can come to the gospel. You can be saved. You can leave here forgiven and adopted into his family so that by God's good pleasure... Together we all will arrive at home. Can we help you with that? What's it going to take? We would love to help you, to pray with you, to talk to you, to continue this discussion. If you're right at a place, we are ready to seek some help. If there's something we can do for you this morning, let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.